0: Namo tasa pakavato arahato samma Namo tasa pakavato arahato samma samputasa Namo tasa pakavato arahato samma samputasa Putang, damang, sankang, namasang Our post today then, uh, so that Bhikkhu Sangha we... Uh, Heard the recitation by Venerable Atulo of the Patimoka, and reviewed our commitment to the path, and then the lay people in the monastery, you take the eight precepts and remember your commitment to the conventions of our of our renunciant life, the conventions of monastic life, the conventions of our spiritual path. And we do this every fortnight, and uh, it's a very good reminder, always a kind of sobering and centering reminder. And uh, this is the way of being in a, in a tradition that has these forms that help us. So it's like a vehicle that helps us travel on the spiritual path. And then part of uh, forced monasticism is to create longer, longer intervals, longer spaces where we can develop formal practice. By formal practice, we usually mean sitting and walking, meditation. And obviously... The, the Buddhist path is one of being mindful and present throughout the day in all activities but the forest tradition tries to emphasize the kind of unique opportunity of developing meditation for longer periods of time so these vigils on the lunar quarter uh, on the observance days today, the day after where there's no work and that's our, the way our schedule works the afternoon period, trying to um, have enough uh, self-discipline and self-motivation to, to create longer spaces of sitting more than just the the morning and evening puja. And this takes uh, self-discipline, self-motivation and, and an interest and in a love of, of kind of doing doing formal practice. And that's very much part of our, our forest tradition. And... Uh, So, just to kind of review the kind of things that we are involved in 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 meditation. Meditation is a kind of it's a it's a very skillful um, activity that uh, to train the mind and has a quite a lot of um, indicators and factors which are encouraged in our practice. And, and just like a craft or a skill it's like driving a car or driving a truck or driving a truck with a trailer there's a lot of skill involved there there's a lot of things once you know how to do it you you do it intuitively but it's just it's just say driving a, a Thomas and Venable Chemical went down to uh, Fort Erie or Fort Elgin or somewhere down there and drove our track her uh, truck and trailer and brought back the uh, sibs for James Kuti that's uh, that's quite a piece of work really you think about it, all the factors and uh, driving the truck knowing how to drive the truck and then having a trailer knowing how to back the trailer always keeping that in mind so it's they made it look easy but it's actually quite a complex thing isn't it but there's a lot that's intuitive through practice and through training so similarly Meditation has a lot of factors that we are encouraged to look at and develop, and you get more and more intuitive about that, and we don't think about it so much. But it's kind of good to make conscious the various uh, factors that uh, are involved, things that you already know, and perhaps reminders are helpful. And when when you look at the kind of classical ways of introducing meditation in various texts, um, especially from uh, uh, cultures that have a lot of faith in the Buddha, from Buddhist cultures such as Thailand or Burma or Sri Lanka um, there's always this element of, of paying homage to the Buddha if, if we read about uh, Paul Liam's uh, that time in 1969 when he was meditating the, um, for those many hours and he had his experiences that you could see he, he puts on his robe uh, puts on his triple robe he faces uh, towards his teacher Ajahn Chah uh, and recollects his teacher recollects his uh, commitment recollects his aspiration and then begins the meditation and that to me is a kind of indication of, of, of great faith and great faith is also to me an aspect of optimism that uh, this, this tradition has been handed down to us there are beings who have realized and we have the potential, we have the possibility. So setting up a kind of optimism, aspiration in the mind is very, very positive rather than the kind of I can't do this or the, the sense of being frustrated and raising up a very wholesome state of mind. And each of us has to do that in our own way. We might do it through a picture of our teachers, through a shrine, or just, if we're not into that, just a kind of uh, contemplation of the Buddha's life uh, the contemplation of beings who have attained so bringing forth that that very serious aspiration, not just a frivolous I have to hang in for 45 minutes and, and just endure this sitting until I can do something else rather a more um, serious um, intentionality um, in, in developing the practice and so longer periods of practice that kind of intentionality is obviously very, very important. And as I was saying on, on Sunday at the Katina, this idea of the, the accumulated consequences of of, of intentions is a, is a very important idea in both training the mind and understanding one's own karma. So if you think about the accumulated consequences of intentions, you can see it on a negative way if my intentions have been heedless and sloppy and and distracted, then I'm going to have to face that someday, the consequences of that, a restless mind. Vice versa, if my intentions have been quite clear, uh, quite uh, in line with the path, in line with the practices of composure, presence, morality, then the accumulated consequences of those intentions are very wholesome and very helpful. So, on one hand, we have to accept the fact that some of our intentions in the past have not been so skillful and give results which are unskillful and difficult and vice versa there are consequences which are, are skillful and um, Buddhist practice always begins with right understanding which leads to right thought or right intention so it's always it's always grounded in wisdom rather than just uh, idealism or, or uh, vague ideas about practice. So the, the, um, as we were chanting uh, this, this recitation uh, for the puja, the idea of uh, the third noble truth, that the end of suffering comes about through the abandonment of craving. And that's the kind of fundamental right understanding in the way we put effort forth in, in meditation. And we're always trying to keep that in mind, because our intentions need to be always conjoined with right understanding even though one might have a kind of wholesome intention of trying to be calm if we don't take it in line, or if we don't con- if we don't join it up with the third noble truth the abandonment of craving the relinquishing of craving the abandon- abandonment of, of becoming of resistance then our efforts can still be conjoined with craving and becoming and we won't be in line with right understanding so we take the right understanding and trying to apply our minds in meditation through non-craving, through non-becoming, through non-resistance, um, which is uh, very, very important in just seeing what the effects of your intentions and practice are and the efforts you make. Um, so faith, um, some sense of confidence or faith, how do you do that? We chant Namatasa, or if that doesn't appeal to you, how do you bring forth this aspiration? this possibility in your own mind. That's for you to, to consider. But it is important, rather than it just being like meditation becoming some habit that you have to do and you have to be with. Um, then quite often in the kind of classical uh, presentations of meditation, the metta sutta is quite often chanted. And uh, that is, to me it's very very important that that there's a, a kind of heart component to one's efforts. It's not just uh, an intellectual willfulness trying to get something, trying to become something, but there's a sense of, of heart in it, there's a sense of uh, uh, kindness. And these are these are important mental factors. They're not, they not they, they balance out the, the um, overly willful nature of of our efforts. So the Mettā Sutta is quite often. It's encouraged to chant that beforehand, and the chanting of that isn't just to to do parrot talk. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness. But to actually do it quite deliberately composes the mind. You know, like sometimes we learn chants, and we can we can we can chant them and think about something else, but to actually like take that chant and, and say it deliberately. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness. And he knows the path of peace, let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble, not conceited, contented, easily satisfied, and so on. You can see if you if you lay that out for yourself in a very calm and deliberate way, that already calms the mind. And it puts it's put forth it puts forth in consciousness Wholesome, wholesome, very wholesome uh, attitudes, and that sets up your meditation. Then, and and that can be done several times, just as a very, just as a kind of very calm, centered recitation. So one takes the thinking mind, which might be planning something or worrying about something, and uses the thinking mind now in a very deliberate way to calm, to calm the mind. And if your mind wanders off and you forget which line you're at or what the line is, just that helps. It's a very obvious way of of bringing back your mind. So in the Bhikkhu Sangha, we, we, we memorize a lot of a lot of chanting. Attila did a of really a very lovely uh, chanting today of, of the Patimokha, and you can, you can see that requires quite a, a strong presence of mind, can't, mind can't wander. And that's been one of the ways that we, in Theravada Buddhism, I and mean, I think all, all forms of Buddhism, all forms of religious conventions, that way of mem- memorizing things and then repeating them, poetry or whatever. And that that form of memory is, doesn't exist much anymore because of memory retrieval programs like Google, uh, where you don't really you don't have to remember anything, you just have to know how to kind of access it. But that aspect of memory and, and, and um, verbalization Helps in uh, to to counter the mind which just verbalizes randomly, thinks randomly, and just gets caught up in uh, whatever it gets caught up in its fantasies or worries. So that's very good to do something like that, or if it's not amenable to something else, which might bring inspiration and bring calm. Um, then. Um, like making the intention to, to really pick up the theme of meditation which you might prefer uh, and there are so many themes and methods and objects of meditation this is quite quite personal um, one of the terrors at uh, Abhayagiri we were talking about his early days in meditation and he met one meditation master who said to him if you use anapanasati keep it very narrow keep it very tight keep it at the nose, uh, don't let it go all over the body, be very, very tight. And then a month later, he met another master who said, don't keep your attention tight, keep it very open and broad. Two meditation masters, both accomplished, but giving different recommendations. And he said, oh. then he said, I have to figure this up for myself. So recommendations that we get from teachers to be listened to, uh, but sometimes... Uh, Sometimes our psyche doesn't fit the the methodology of the teacher, and there's nothing wrong with the teacher, there's nothing wrong with us. It's just that different people have different proclivities. So to have confidence to try something, but to have confidence also to say, there's nothing, like if I can't do a technique that someone says something wrong with me, I just have to find my particular way of of handling this and learning um, but the intention then to you know set up the intention to set up that you now you're meditating and to set up the, the, the way you like to meditate the theme you like to meditate that's that's that that's that accumulation of of good intentions let's make it very clear what I'm doing and then in the doing of that then of course uh, we we're encouraged to look at the, the various hindrances which we've all read about those things which actually, prevent your mind from pl- staying in the present moment and being with the object of meditation. And those are, 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 you know, all of us have read this quite a few times, but dullness and restlessness, to actually, to know the, the kind of energy format of your mind right now, the energy, uh, the energy nature, the energy manifestation of your mind right now, your mind and body, that's terribly important. So some people suffer from dullness, some t- people suffer from restlessness. Us uh, and but they swing back and forth. So dullness is in uh, can be chronic, which is very uh, sad to see, where where, where people who uh, who become comfortable in their meditation posture then begin to just uh, fall asleep. Uh, pain, of course, keeps you more awake, but that the vitality of the body is the indicator of dullness, and so. All of us somehow have to learn how to make the body strong as much as possible. Uh, uh, use the body to be alert. Uh, sitting, sitting posture, if you have pain, at least it keeps you awake. So some people find sitting is difficult. They fall asleep very easily. They develop uh, walking meditation. Lying meditation is more, more difficult to not fall asleep, not to go into dullness, but lying meditation has the, the great benefit of this regular pain and, and um, the body can have a lot of a relaxed state. And then restlessness, just the mind planning, thinking, worrying, organizing, doubting, regretting, just that kind of busy, 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 busyness of the thinking mind, that has to be noticed and one has to somehow make a very clear intention to not go there. Not get rid of it, but just very clearly, you no, know, my intention now is the object of meditation. And that is just a very persistent uh, intentionality. You can't persist in that intention of not going to the fantasizing, not going to the project, not going to the resentment, not going to all the busyness of the restless thinking mind, flurry and worry. That's a big project in itself, isn't it? So, those two, we swing between um, dullness and, and restlessness, and then each of us has our own tendencies around that. Uh, One has to awaken to that, so you have to recognize that this is just project planning or or worrying, recognize that that's the mood of the mind, or recognize that there's dullness. That's not easy sometimes. People will just be falling asleep, they won't even know they're falling asleep. Um, So kind of recognize, oh, this is the hindrance, and and then to make kind of very clear, oh, I have to work with this hindrance, I I have to understand this hindrance, so you're your, your investigative mind, Dhamma Vijaya, is kind of activated to see, well, how does this work? Why does my mind keep thinking? What what, what kind of intentions do I need to do just to put that down? Or why do I always just fall asleep? And, and where, where does it come from? And how does it affect my body? And, and uh, what happens to my head when I do that? And what happens to my breathing? This kind of questioning of, of, of one's, um, uh, of the energies, brings a kind of brightness, brings a kind of, we call that Dhamma Vijaya, an investigation. And hopefully, from that, you get some insights, how to do it, you try things, and you become skillful at those two hindrances, dullness and restlessness, just as the uh, fellow driving the truck becomes skillful at negotiating um, a left turn across traffic with a, with a trailer. takes some practice. Then, uh, greed and hatred, and... Uh, the, the hatred quite often arises in meditation, sometimes through memory because one has had some difficult encounters in life, but quite often it's aversion to pain, that can be very common, aversion to discomfort, aversion to thought, uh, aversion to different kinds of emotions. But basically it's, it's a, a resistance to what what is happening. And then it's often opposite infatuation, just being... Just having this fabulous idea that one then gets absorbed into, fantasy gets absorbed into. Uh, It might be sexual fantasy, it might be a project fantasy, it might be a creative fantasy, it might be a shopping fantasy, but the mind gets born into it because it's interesting. And that interest is much more attractive or magnetic than, say, just the nature of the breath so the mind gets somewhat bored with the breathing site or the object of meditation an idea comes up to do something create something talk with someone go somewhere whatever and that idea is interesting it's fun it's it's uh, it's appealing it's attractive it's sukha and the mind goes to that and there's the rebirth into the thinking mind through the kind of um, pleasant the pleasure the pleasure and pain um, so, meditation, we're trying to see that movement towards objects or the resistance to objects, aversion and greed, how that, how that might arise. And each of us will have different kinds of ways we do that, so it's a, very much a self-understanding. Self-understanding. Doubt in the fifth hindrance. The doubt is that, you know, in, in, in meditation practice, you just have to go for it. You just start to, if you start to dither about which to do or what to do or whatever, uh, you'll be dithering all the time. So you try stuff, you look at it, but just, you just keep going. You just keep, you know, developing it. Keep going. Uh, so the, 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 doubting mind always uh, uh, is a kind of, a, it's a crippling of energy. It's a crippling of of, of of application of mind because the mind doesn't want to. You know, considers this, oh, is this going to work, or is it not going to work, should it be something else? And some of that is just natural to consider, but at some point one just has to go for it. Oh, let's just do this for, for six months, let's see what happens, uh, rather than thinking, is it the perfect method? So the in, when we talk about meditation, there's always that, the five hindrances are always talked about, right? before you know, these have to be put aside. So that's a it's a kind of simple statement you find in the text. 500 just have to be laid aside or not indulged in whatever way it's put, but it's not so easy. It's not so easy. And and those are, are kind of the, the kind of learning principles, the principles we have to learn about. And there are other hindrances that might arise, like fear, you could say. Where Where's fear fit in? It might be part of doubt. It might be far part of restlessness. And... We have different manifestations. But basically, it's about the mind not being able to be present. The mind which is unable just to be present with the object of meditation. Where does your mind go? Why does it go there? Then then the meditation itself, the kind of principles of, of focus and concentration, are, are also they're not so complicated. Um, just like the, to apply your mind... Uh, with intention, and to keep reapplying your mind with intention is is the is what we do if we do anything really. If you if you're uh, um, if you if you're doing a stir fry, and you've got a certain amount of oil and a certain amount of heat, you have to keep focusing on the vegetables in the wok to make sure they're not getting burned. You have to keep turning them, look at the heat. So you, you're you're constantly looking at the food and you're reminding yourself, no. Uh, this has been in there uh, already a minute or two minutes or three minutes or whatever. You're constantly refocusing and remembering. And your mind might wander off to think about something else, but you have to refocus. So in the same way, in, in uh, uh, concentrating the mind or focusing the mind on the object of meditation, one has to make very clear the intention, and one has to reinforce that intention again and again and again. You have to get really, really good at that. And that's the skillful use of thought and the skillful use of language. So you, 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 make, you make a statement to yourself. Uh, I'm going to do breath now. I'm going to do breath. Right? You make that kind of clear statement. And then maybe you use a bit of language. In, out, all the way in, all the way out. Very simple language. But that's reaffirming your intention. All the way in, all the way out. In breath, out breath, whatever. And after a while, when your mind settles on the object, you don't need to do that because you're on the object. But when you lose it, then you have to do that more. So you need to use thought, but just a little bit of thought, to bring you back to the object of awareness. And that's intentionality. So the accumulated consequence of intentions is the mind begins to stick to the object, begins to be with the object, doesn't go off into the hindrances. begins to abide with the object, awareness with the object. Um... And and then the the, the factors of of, of kind of happiness uh, of being being both um, happy in the mind and relaxed in the body are are ways of judging or ways of evaluating how you how you're putting forth effort because if you're even though the mind might not be thinking you might have quite a a strong uh, back uh, what should you say uh, subconscious or unconscious tendency trying to get something. That's bhava, bhava. And there's a kind of anticipation going on. That will make you tense, physically and mentally. So the recommendation is, how do you make the mind happy? How do you make the body relaxed? How do you how do you bring up a sense of ease, both in body and mind? If there's resistance, if, if the thoughts are coming up and just resisting, I'm trying to get rid of them, vi bhava, then that will create tension in your body and unhappiness in your mind. Um. So whether that's bhava or vibhava, resistance or anticipation, becoming, trying to get rid of, the indicators will be that your mind uh, won't settle, your mind won't settle, your body will be tense and tight. So if you use both, of you use those ideas, you you, you you suss out, how is your body doing? Uh, is your body relaxed in this? And where that gets very difficult is if you have a lot of physical pain. Very difficult to to remain a quantumist, to physical pain and not resist it and... So finding a posture which works, a chair, uh, walking, um, whatever, uh, is, is, is very, very helpful. Uh, but if pain does come up, that will create resistance, that will create thought, that will create aversion, and it will be hard to settle. So, so to, to kind of notice pain, not to hurt yourself, but notice discomfort as an object of awareness and let go of the desire not to have it, is part of the skill of being with discomfort. Big skill, very big skill. So resistance, and then you can use language like that. But if you have good body awareness and awareness of the mood of the mind, then these these two two things you begin to see how you you know the, the becoming mind makes your body tense and your mind is never satisfied because it's always looking for some other thing. Whereas in meditation, we're looking at this thing called the breath or the object of meditation. So it's this way, this way, this way, here and now, Dhamma rather than some other experience which you've heard about, which you've read about, or other experience that you've actually had. So, seeking some kind of attainment which uh, is not here now. So, the idea of, of of meditation is you're letting go of becoming into the present moment, always into the present moment, this kind of letting go, into, letting go of desire. And then the rest will take care of itself, if you can sustain that for long periods of time. So, resistance, anticipation... And you can use language for that, you can use language to to as you begin to understand that in your own mind, the way your mind works around those becoming or not becoming. You, you can just but let's relax, let go. Language which helps you to, to to come to that sense of bodily ease and mental ease. Mental happiness and bodily happiness. And then the, uh, the the kind of over, overriding factor is one-pointedness of mind, uh, where one-pointedness of mind can be both on object, but it's, its primary thing is to be in the present moment. So the kind of collectedness of our attention in the present moment, in the present moment, in the present moment. And some people find that easier with a very small object, like a very tight breath, but some people get too tense of that, and they like something larger, like space, a casa. There's a lot of, a lot of variations on how that happens. But you, I think you can see quite clearly that it has to be about uh, sustained present moment awareness. If the mind is going to the future or the past, it's not really with the way things are. It's thinking, it's evaluating, it's it's doing whatever it does. So present moment awareness, and that comes back to intention. Present moment awareness, present moment. No matter what it is, whether it's a a difficult mind state that's coming up or um, whatever it might be, it's still in the present moment. So even if your meditation doesn't seem to be going well, you have a lot of dullness or restlessness going on, you keep looking at that with present moment awareness. And that can be enhanced by focusing on one object, one object, Present moment awareness, but it's not so much about the object. It's about the mind, which is the capacity to stay in the present moment for long periods of time, free from craving, free from craving. Those are the factors which which help you uh, settle the mind. The mind becomes quite happy when it doesn't want anything. If it wants something, it's not getting. It's not happy. It's resisting. It's trying. It's fighting. It's trying to get something. If you can't stay in the present moment, it's not uh, not going to become calm because it's just uh, going past the future, past the future, and staying busy that way. So you have a sense of calm, right? But also a sense of uplift in, in brightness because you don't want anything. You're not trying to get something other than what is here now. And that just that, that capacity just to know what this one breath at a time, one breath at a time, very hard because we can be anticipating so much or resisting. And And these are subconscious things sometimes. Like we've had really lovely experiences in meditation, or we've read about uh, um, interesting attainments that people have, and then our minds get programmed in ways we might not notice to get those things that we read about or that we've experienced, and that very trying to get something is not in line with the third noble truth, abandoning craving, letting go of craving. So coming back to that suggestion, this is the way it is now. It's this way now, non craving, non becoming, non resistance, just this way. And then that's the platform for right effort. That's the platform for right attention. That's the platform for, uh, for right concentration. And that, that, those are, you know, there's a whole, a whole range of skills there. There's a whole range of stuff going on there. And each of those becomes around the hindrances, around this way of mind being relaxed, body being relaxed. Staying in the moment, They've kind of whole range of skills that you get more and more intuitive with, get better and better at it, and it becomes a an easier kind of a, a more enjoyable, more enjoyable um, uh, activity to do because there's some skill, and and that skill is interesting. That's just like any skill; you can enjoy enjoy the skills that you do have, and if it's if it's not. Not working well, then the intentionality is to understand. It's always about understanding rather than getting rid of or trying to become. So it has a has a kind of basis of intelligence and wisdom always. Sometimes the the hindrances are very very strong, and and you just have to bear with them. And you know, it's like a purification, just a restlessness going on or dullness, and you just have to keep coming coming back to it. I had a period of dullness in my. Um, third year of meditation and I just was I just, it was so difficult and, and it was, wasn't related to sleep it wasn't related to amounts of sleep or food it was just like a, a, a hindrance going through my mind and I did a lot of um, I used to I, I often repeat this but I, I was visiting my mother for the first time my parents in, in, in Toronto and, I, and someone had told me and whatnot a child that I was I was nodding a lot, and and I I kind of said, no, I'm not, (laughs) but I I knew I was. And uh, so I I went back to to visit my my mom and father, and uh, what I did, I set myself up in in front of a full-length mirror, and I set up my, my my mom wasn't watching, and uh, I set my clock for 10 minutes, Usually sat for much long, much much longer than that, obviously. And then I I would sit, and when my clock went off after ten minutes, I would just open my eyes without moving my body, and I saw that my my whole posture had slumped over, and I was on my on my forearms, my forearms were on my thighs, and I was actually quite uh, dull. And that really shocked me. I kind of thought I was meditating okay, and that shock was good for me because it made me kind of have more. Uh, more energy, more effort. Wait, what's going on here? Your meditation's really down the tube here. And so that brightened my mind to look. But then the dullness was still there, so the consequences of of accumulated intentions, the intentions of sleepiness were not conscious, but they were still there. The way I operated, the way my mind operated, say, is still leading towards dullness. So then the habit was there. And because the habit was there to break it, I kept having to notice it and then do something vigorous, break the habit, break the habit, break the habit, until I could see the habit arising. I could see the habit beginning in the mind. i said, say, ah, oh, okay, that's what's happening. And as I saw beginning in the mind, could keep the body up, keep the body up, keep the body up, and then uh, it wouldn't overwhelm me. It wouldn't overwhelm me. But it took, it took a fair piece of work to do that. And that's quite often what happens with the hindrances is like they just keep coming at you and you just have to learn about them until you become adept at understanding them and not being taken by them. And then you have that body of skill, body of knowledge in your in your kind of intuitive jitta and, and that operates whenever the hindrances come up. You don't have to think so much about it because you just know, oh yeah, yeah, This I've been here, I understand that. So sometimes understanding is that way. You just struggle and, and get uh, get good at through through the struggle. Um, so so in your you know try to try to develop a periods of time where you are developing longer periods of formal practice, and walking, whatever posture works for you. Try to extend it to to more than just forty five minutes and get get longer periods because those longer periods are very edifying. You really, you really learn a lot about what your mind does and doesn't do. So I'll leave that for your reflection today.